Taylor, great job last week, by the way. Did anybody get a chance to hear Taylor? One of, I'm telling you, a foundational messages for the church. Because we're talking about ecclesia, which is the Greek word that means church. That's what we're talking about for the next several weeks. We're going to be exploring how do we belong to the church and what does the church really accomplish in the world today. And Taylor began last week by asking the question, what is the most counter-cultural aspect of Jesus' life? Do you remember that question? What's the most counter-cultural? What, what was the thing that Jesus did that really cut across the grain of his culture? And I wrote down several things when I was thinking before he answered, and that was miracles, of course. They weren't common, um, most certainly not common before Jesus. Um, we saw miracles in the Bible in the Old Testament, but when Jesus came, he brought the full fruition of miracles. Um, we, we saw Jesus transform the role of women in society. He valued women and brought them up to the level of discipleship. Compassion, we saw a compassion that we've never seen before. A servanthood, like that's never been done. But he said probably the most countercultural that was the most lasting, most important, most impactful, most visible in the culture was what? The church. Building the church. In Matthew chapter 16, upon Peter's profession of faith, saying, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, upon you, Peter, in this profession, I plant my church. I, I build it on this rock. The ecclesia is now becoming a reality. It wasn't before. Now it is. A reality is being born. A new reality. And as Taylor talked about, it's not a the church, the ecclesia, is, is just simply a word that means assembly of believers. That's what the word means. Assembly. The gathering. Which means if the church doesn't gather, if it doesn't assemble, it's not the church. Because inherent in its definition is that it assembles. It comes together and becomes a visible manifestation of what we're going to find out this morning is the family. It's the family of God. When the church gathers, it becomes the family. Taylor mentioned it's not a place where or programs that. So it doesn't have to have a structural facility. It's wherever people gather. And it's not necessarily based upon certain programs, whether we have the program or don't have the program, but it's a people who. A people who have four values, and I want to come back to these four values. Very, very important. Go back and listen last week. Absolutely a critical message for our church and understanding your role in the church. You get a hope, you get an identity, you get a community, and you get a mission in the church. All four of those things become a reality in the context of the church. Where else do you get those four things? And this morning, I want to talk about this idea of church, which is so controversial. I mean, I wrote down, the most good in the world can be attributed to the church, but also some of the worst things that have caused the most harm can also be contributed to the church. So why are we talking about something so controversial? The entire New Testament is written to a body of believers called the church. 
the entire New Testament is written to the church. Not to an individual. Your faith is not individual. Your faith is being lived out in the context of a community assembled called the church. Everything about your faith is wrapped up in the assembly of the church. That's why it's so important that we talk about something as controversial as the church that has caused the greatest good and the greatest harm. Maybe to you personally, maybe to civilization or societies or cultures or nations. And I would go as far as to say if you don't have a church, you don't have a home. Why would I say that? Because I think the primary illustration or image that, that the New Testament gives us of the church is it's a family. And if you don't have a family, you don't have a home. You're a homeless Christian if you don't have a church. You can't do this on your own. You cannot live the Christian life on your own. You can argue with me. You can say you can figure it out. You can do it in your own home. You can do it by yourself. You can have a relationship with Christ. Absolutely. No question. But you can't live the fullness of the Christian life out without the context of the church. And the church is a family, and so therefore, the family is your home. The church is your home. And to not have one is to be homeless. That's why I want to look at this. And I would say the same thing is true for the family as it is for the church. The greatest good has been caused by families, and the greatest harm has been caused by families. We were up in San Luis Obispo this last two days visiting our new grandson, Del. I call him Del T. And uh, he's now two months old. And, you know, we're just getting to know him, and we don't live close. So, you know, he's not reacting or responding to us like he does his parents. But when his mom walks up, his face lights up. When his dad plays the guitar and he's laying right next to him, he immediately turns to his father who's playing the guitar and playing this beautiful song to his son. He's at peace. His eyes are on him. Because he knows his family. There's security. There's a secret language that's going on telling him, you're okay, you're loved, and you're at peace. There's a sense of identity that I'm a member of something bigger than myself. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. And I think the best passage to look at is Ephesians chapter 2. And if you have a Bible or if you have your phone, you might want to go to your Bible app and look at this passage, a very, very important passage. And I'm going to look at uh, the, the development of how Paul builds together a new creation called the family and what are the three things that we gain from this. So how does Paul bring it all together in Ephesians chapter 2, 11 to 22? And what are the three values or significant uh, items that we receive from it? And here it is. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, 
So right away, Paul is identifying that there's a contrast between a Gentile who is not a Jew. So anyone living in another country or, or came from another nation other than the Jewish nation in the ancient Near East were considered a Gentile. A Gentile was anybody outside of the Jewish province, the nation of Israel, a member of Israel. They held that membership very tightly. And they were called the members of circumcision, and anyone out of it was uncircumcision. And so if you were a Gentile from anywhere else in the world, you were outside of it. And it says, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ. So Paul's saying that to be separate from what, Paul, what God is doing is to be separate from Christ. Excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. Strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ. Look what happens. Because of Christ, who you were formerly far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups, that is the Jews and the Gentiles, a religious separation existed in the first century between those that were Gentiles and those that were Jews. They were, it would broke down, Jesus broke down the barrier, the dividing wall, abolishing his flesh in the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, so that he himself might be made the two into one new man. A new humanity is created, thus establishing peace and might reconcile them both to one body to God through the cross by having it put to death that enmity. He came and preached peace to those who were far and to those who were near. For through Him we both have our access to one Spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but now fellow citizens with the saints and are now God's household. There it is. God's household. God's family. So what Paul's saying here is to get the argument. Two groups of people, Gentiles and Jews. Christ comes, breaks down the barrier through his own life, unites them into a new humanity, a new creation called the church. And then notice what happens. This new humanity, they have peace, they're reconciled by the cross, and he preaches Christ to those that are near, those that are far. They both have access. They're no longer strangers. Now they're fellow citizens. They are part of God's household, having been built on the foundation and the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of the Holy Spirit. Notice what God's doing. He's bringing together two very diverse groups of people and uniting them and making them one. And now they are these fellow citizens. They're, they become a household together and they become actually a holy temple fitted, to, fill, fitted together for God's dwelling. So all of these things happen in this new creation. And what I want to look at this morning is this idea of what God is doing. He's building a family. It comes from verse 19. Look at that, verse 19. The household of God. The word is oikos, which means household or home. It was a family. It was the family structure in the first century 
that was most important above businesses, above anything else, the family held society together. And five times in the very end of this passage, Paul refers in one way or another to the family. Those that were far from the family were par oikos, which is they were alongside the family, but they weren't in the family. They were aliens and strangers. And then he talks about the building of the family and being built up. Those are all based on the word oikos, which is family. Five times Paul mentions the value and importance of the family as being the church. And I would define the church as this, according to Paul in this passage. Here it is. Bringing together radically different people and making them a family. Radically different people and making them a family. Which offer us, us three things. We get three things from the, the church, which is the family. You get, by being here this morning, you get three things. It's something to think about. If you're not part of a church, if maybe you've grown tired of the church, maybe you've pulled away, maybe you're trying to do it another way. This is not the only church, but this is a church where we raise the name of Christ, we will profess Christ, and we come together radically independent, individual, individuals, people, and become a family that offers belonging, loyalty, and sacredness. You get three things from the family. You get a belonging, you get a loyalty, and you get a sacredness. And so let's look first about how Paul did that. He's bringing together these, these two groups of people, and it was well known in the ancient world, by the way, the, the animosity that existed between Jews and the Greeks. There was tremendous, and the Greeks called the Jews mutilators, and the, Greeks, the Jews called the, the Greeks or the Gentiles the uncircumcised. You're outside of our commonwealth. You're outside of the privilege of the family of God, the household of God in the Old Testament. And then, and then the Gentiles looked at them and saw them as one mutilating the very image that God wanted to produce, which was a family on this earth. A family of people and nations using Israel to bring that about. And yet, there was, so there was great animosity and the dividing wall needed to be literally torn down. The word reconcile, Jesus will reconcile this. He will cause this to happen. means He brings about the reconciliation, which is the removal of hostility among people. In 1871, a pillar from the Jewish temple was actually uncovered and it was discovered that on the, this pillar was an inscription. And the inscription read, No man of another race is to enter within the fence, the enclosure around the temple. If caught, it would mean sudden death. I mean, so the Jews took that very seriously about keeping the temple, which was their placekeeper for God's presence on the earth, very holy. And so they kept all else, all others out. I mean, talk about writing the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. This inscription would most certainly do that. I remember a, uh, reading about a, a trespassing sign that was posted. 
It said absolutely no trespassing. Trespassing will incur the greatest prosecution of the law. Signed, Sisters of Mercy. You know, the Jewish people had a Jewish way of life and it became a weapon keeping others far from God. And the Gentiles felt that and became angered against them. There was so much animosity. You remember in the Old Testament story, the story of Jonah. What's the story of Jonah about? Jonah is given the instruction to go to Nineveh, a Gentile country, and do what? Bring God's, God's reconciliation. I want to reconcile myself with a Gentile country. God is a compassionate, just God. He wanted to reach out to all the nations of the world. He was not exclusive. He was inclusive. And Jonah didn't want to go. And he was angry, even in the end, when they repent, because he can't believe that someone outside of the commonwealth of Israel could actually receive the grace of God. And yet what Paul is reminding us here is reconciliation happens because of the cross. The blood of Christ reconciles us all to a new creation, something that didn't exist before. Do you see that in verse uh, verse 15? The new man, the kainon anthropon, is the new man, the new creation, something that never existed before. There is something that happens in this text, in this period of time, that has never happened before in history and will remain true for all of eternity. It will move on with us into eternity. It's called the building of the family of God, the church. And you are a member of that. And you come from different religious backgrounds, different socioeconomic backgrounds, very, very different. And maybe animosity exists. But Jesus gives his own blood, his life, to set us free from that hostility, that anger, the hatred. Reminds me of Martin Luther King. And I wrote down these. I think Martin Luther King had to die to make his dream come true. I mean, he died in 1968. The Civil Rights Act was signed in 1964. So from 1955 to 1968, Martin Luther King fought for the rights of African Americans in America. And in 64, a major event happened, the Civil Rights Act, that gave equality to African Americans, to all society. And yet it still had not taken place. Still, racism ran deep in our country. And when Dr. Luther was assassinated in 68, I believe it was, it was through that event that people became even more aware of the racism, more aware of the division. And slowly, over time, we began to... It hasn't completely wiped it out. But yet, we have seen it happen, and it took an individual to give his own life, his blood, Only Jesus can wipe out animosity like racism. It had to come from God himself. And that's what Jesus did. He died, and now what happens is this new thing comes about. Let me tell you something about division before we move on to the three advantages, the three things that we get from this family. In Family is made up of very unique individuals. We're all different. We don't pick our families. One definition of a family is... uh, a group of people that are more than one that are dysfunctional. 
So a family that has more than one person is going to be dysfunctional because you're bringing together different personalities and, ba- and, and, and experiences and, and temperaments and putting them together in a family. And yet what happens oftentimes, what needs to break down is pride because what the good things about us divide us. The very best things about who you are as a person often are used to divide between people because of pride. It causes us to despise other that are different than ourselves. Mark Curry, who's a, uh, a lecturer at a university, wrote a book called Difference. And I thought it was the Mark Curry that was the ex-bad boy rapper, but it's not him. It's, a, it's actually a professor who wrote the book Difference. It might have actually been a better book if it was written by the other Mark Curry. But... Um, it was, but it, it identified this, this, this component of identity. Identity does not come from inward qualities. Identity comes from comparison with others. When you compare yourself to others, you gain an identity. That's his idea. C.S. Lewis once said in Mere Christianity... He said, people are not proud of being rich, only richer than others. See, what's happened is we have used the good things in our lives and we've moralized them into different things. So we moralize differences. And this is what's happened in this culture. You cannot bring together people that have moralized their differences. And we do that all the time with people. And the family of God is the place where that gets reconciled. And our identity changes. And Galatians 3.28 says, Neither Jew, we are neither Jew nor Greek, male or female, free or slave. There, there is no Jew or Greek in the family of God. In Isaiah chapter 2, it reminds us that one day all nations will gather on a hill at the temple. One day all the nations will gather. That was the whole purpose of God bringing the light to the nations, Israel. To bring them into reconciliation with God. To become the earthly family of God. That's what the church is supposed to do. That's our role in society. To be together to bring reconciliation of all people back to Christ. And we represent that. Not by moralizing our differences but by joining together and appreciating our differences. Cyprian, early first century writer, says, whoever is separate from the church is an adulteress. I mean, he was first century writers. They, they, they couldn't even reconcile a person that didn't have a family. To not be part of a church is to be homeless, as I said. It's, it's, it was unheard of in the first century not to be part of a church. It was, it was who you are now. You're, you're in, your identity becomes part of this church. He says you're separated from the promise of the church. He says you no longer have God as your father if you don't have the church as your mother. I mean, those are some strong words. I mean, those are challenging words to ask, our, to ask the question, what's our role in all this? And here it is, three things. Paul ends this reconciliation, this new humanity, this new creation, which is the church, which is so beautiful because it didn't exist, now it exists. 
and he calls it the family. And it's not just a metaphor. We really are a family. I mean, that's what Paul wanted us to see. It doesn't replace your family of origin, but it most certainly is a spiritual family. In one sense, it is a family. We function as a family. For you to be part of it is to be a member of a family. Three things you get. Belonging. I'm going to talk just briefly about loyalty and then sacredness. Remember the movie Titanic? Titanic was a great movie, not because it was a story of, of family and the story of early century families uh, that would marry to secure families. And so Rose had a dilemma. The movie would have gone nowhere if Rose had stayed with the fiancé, right? I mean, that would have been a boring story. Everyone went, oh my goodness, I can't believe she's going to stay with that guy, right? I mean, and carry on in this relationship, she doesn't love him, and all to save her family and her mother and all of that. And yet, the movie becomes a movie because what happens? She falls in love with Jack and is pulled away through individual desire to love Jack and leave her family. And she, she leaves the family. In first century, in first century thinking, in Paul's way of thinking as he describes the church, don't miss this, it would be unheard of. Completely unheard of for Rose to leave her family for Jack. She was obligated to the family. It was the strength of society. Group always comes before the individual. As Joe Hedder, uh, Dr. Hellerman from uh, Talbot Seminary Theological Seminary points out in a book called Church is the Home, or excuse me, When Church Was a Family. He says it was a patrilineal structure. The bloodline passed through the father to the children, established the foundation of the family. It was, it was from the father to the children, and then the, the, the male heirs through their children, and then their sons to their family. And so you would always go back to the bloodline to your father, and you would be brothers and sisters. This has significant impact for us as a church. And so Paul says, first of all, you are now no longer strangers and aliens. You are citizens. And he brings your citizens with the saints. So you're a citizen or you're a member in this new family of the saints. So Paul ties all these together under this household of God. And so number one, citizenship brings about belonging. I mean, you think about it. When you have a passport and you're traveling, don't lose the passport. It's your way home. It is your way home. I was traveling with a group of people who went to Cairo for a conference with Open Doors Ministry, talk about the persecution, persecuted church in the, in the uh, Middle East. Silent believers. These are, these are believers, secret believers that cannot identify their faith or they would be literally executed. They're Muslim believers but have found Christ living as Christians but in a Muslim culture. And so we went and it was an incredible tour and, 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 but I want to take you back to getting off the airport and this one couple had never been out of the country. Uh, he left his, his passport in the airport, on the airplane, on the tarmac. 
And in Egypt, even 20 years, 15 years ago, uh, they would come out and get you. The, the, the planes don't come into the tarmac. The planes are out there. Same thing and true in Turkey. You, you, you get, and every bag gets searched on the tarmac and it's all pulled out and then you get onto a bus and then you go to the tarmac. And he left it and now we're in the terminal. He's not in, in uh, 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 Egypt. I forgot what country I'm in. And he's not in Egypt yet. He's in the tarmac. He's, in, he's actually in the terminal and his passport's on the airplane and he had no belonging. He had to retrieve that or he could not go back. He could not go forward. Sounds like a great movie. It's your belonging. You're a member of this community. As it says, it's you're part of the brotherhood. You have something innate. I remember driving home as a, as a college student. I would get in my 67 Mustang, and I would drive home from Northern California and come home uh, every once in a while to do laundry. So, because you got to do your laundry, and I didn't know how to run a washer or dryer. So, sorry about that, but that's just, uh, never knew how to do that. And so, I would have to come home, and uh, it was great. I love coming home, not only to get my laundry, but home-cooked meals, but to be with the family. It was a place to belong, and away in college was great, and I was an independent person, but my belonging, my citizenship was in my home. Do you feel that way? Is there a sense of belonging, of citizenship when you come together as the church? I wonder how we develop that. Let me, let me move on to the two other things before we end this morning. The other thing that Paul says is that we now, because we are part of these, the citizenship of the saints, we become the household, the oikos of God, the family bond that's stronger even than marriage. As Paul's describing this, the, the family the brother and sister relationship tied to the father was more powerful, more bonding than even marriage. And marriage secured the continuation of the family, but the, the bonding, the loyalty existed between brother and sister. Most of us desire our kids to grow up and have a great marriage and to unite with their husband or their wife and and off they go and start their own family. And yet in first century thinking that Paul wants to draw us back to is what you are experiencing in the context of the church is something called brotherhood and sisterhood that is so loyal. Psychology Today did an experiment. It's a card game. And you, you turned over cards and you won money or you lost money based on whether the card had a, a positive or a negative on it. But what they did with this with young adults is they, if you won a certain amount of money, if you won cards that equated to a certain amount of money, you had to decide whether to give it to your parents or your friends. And if you lost money, you had to decide to give it to the other person. And clear across the board, young adults chose to give preference to their family, to their parents, over their friends. And they showed that the stronger, the greater the relationship, the greater the loyalty. I mean, Jesus himself in Mark chapter 3, they said, look, the, they, the, the, the crowd looked and said, hey, Jesus, your mother is there, and there's your brother and your sister. Jesus had a family, a, an earthly family, and he looked beyond them, not because he didn't like them, they didn't love them or respect them, but he said, no, you want to see my family? There they are, my brothers and sisters that do the will of God. We are a family. 
That's who we are. We should be functioning like a family. Every aspect of it, Paul is bringing to this idea that the loyalty, we should be loyal to one. We should have each other's backs. And then finally, the sacredness. Look at this. We are being built up as a temple of God. Each one of us, Jesus, the cornerstone, we're growing into a holy temple. Do you see that? Here's the interesting thing about that. Again, the temple is the home of God on the earth. All the way from the beginning, trace it all the way from sanctuary, uh, tabernacle, to the temple that Solomon built. Jesus then came and supplanted that and said what? I dwell among you. I am the tabernacle of God. I represent the presence of God. And here in this passage, what Jesus, what Paul's doing is he's now taking the idea of the temple, the holy temple, the place where God exists, where God dwells on the earth. God, dwell, God needs a place to dwell in the earth until all is reconciled to him. Until the end in the new heavens and the new earth, God continues to be present. But how is he present? Was he just like out there somewhere, just random? No, he's present through the temple, which is now the holy temple, which is the people of God, which is the family. That is profound. You represent the sacredness of God. The holy dwelling place of God is you. That's who you are. And all that is true of the temple... And you go to Revelation 21 and 22, it talks about the new heavens and the new earth. God's going to recreate the new heavens and the new earth. And then the next verse says, and he's going to bring a holy city, Jerusalem, down. And the holy city, Jerusalem, will be the eternity. And guess what that is? The old temple, which is now the holy temple, which is the family, which is the church. The church becomes now represented in Revelation 21 and 22 as the final conclusion of all that God is bringing together. Heaven and earth, it's the church. Now let me ask you a question. What's our role in all this? Become part of the family of God. That's the challenge this morning. I want to give you a minute and just think about that. Just a reflection time to think about what God is doing through us. And you might feel very separate from it. You may not feel like you're worthy of it. But notice how he reconciles through his blood all differences, all backgrounds. Church is the one place in the world where there's no like membership card. It's not a membership card like you have to do this, this, and this to become a member of the household of God. As as Jesus said, professing Christ as Lord, the living God, you join the ecclesia, the assembly of believers. So what's our role in that? I mean, seriously, where are you in all this? Take a minute. I'm going to put on some music. And we're going to take communion in a second. But just take a minute. And the communion, of course, represents the blood of Christ that reconciled all people. And as you go up... Think of somebody that you're not set reconciled with. Think of somebody that you want to be reconciled with. Think of somebody that maybe you want to invite into our family. Think of the relationship that exists between various races of people that are followers of Christ because of that table, because of what Jesus did. He went to the cross. And when we take the blood 
and we take the bread, the flesh, with the blood, the, the bread, and the grape juice that represent his blood and his flesh, we are reminding ourselves that he reconciled all people to himself. So take a minute, think about it. What's your role? What's going to change in your life? And then in a minute, I invite you to take communion. And then we're going to close. You can, you can hang out, just spend some time really thinking seriously about your role in the family. And then you're excused.